So we've been on this journey. And today's message I've titled Justified. And I'm continuing uh, from last week. Last week I was not able to, um, to really get into the outline. And so I, I, I really wanted for us to get a, a, a good understanding of how important these two men are that the Apostle Paul used in, in his text in, in Romans 4. And um, it's important to, to, to grab a hold of that a matter has to be established by witnesses. If you go to a court of law and you want to establish a matter and make it confirmed and have very good evidence, you will have a witness to establish it. Amen? And so what we see here as Paul is talking about justification by faith is that he brings two individuals that are pillars in the Old Testament. He brings a man by the name of Abraham. And Abraham was called the father of faith. Abraham was, uh, he was uh, just a very, very special individual to the to Israel, and not only to national Israel, but he was very special to the Arabs as well. We'll look at that. And then he brought another individual whose name was David. And he was the greatest king that Israel had. And they called him a man after God's own heart. And even though he was a man after God's own heart, his heart deceived him many times and he took it other places. Amen? Anyone that's read the, the, the story of David understands that. But they were very, very important to the Jews. And, and we see that because uh, Matthew, as he's writing his gospel, the very first verse that he writes is he says, the record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. And he starts to establish Jesus' genealogy. And he says, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So these two individuals are very important. And now we see in the text... Uh, that Paul will use these men as examples of how we are justified by faith. So let's go to Romans 4, verses 1 through 12. And I'm going to be reading out of the NLT today. So let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this second service. And thank you for Mother's Day. Lord, we do celebrate our moms. Uh, we, we thank you that you have made them so special, Lord God. And, uh, and just pray in Jesus' name that we can honor them to bring glory to your name. But as we look at this text, Father, we pray that your blessing will be upon every one of us, that our hearts will be open to receive what you have for us, that our, that our ears will be open as well to hear your voice. And, Lord, as I speak, as I, the things that I've prepared, I pray your blessing upon them. And even the things that maybe I didn't prepare, may you, by your Holy Spirit, give me the unction, the power to speak those things out to those that may need to hear them today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. So it starts out, Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. That's the Apostle Paul writing. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have something to boast about or brag about. But that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us that Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Very good, second service. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith 
in God who forgives sinners. And someone can say, praise you, Lord, for forgiving me of my sins. Amen? David also spoke of, he's already used Abraham. Now he goes and he says, David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. And this is what David wrote. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. That's awesome, yeah. Now, is the blessing only for the Jews? Now, this is where Paul begins to help everyone to understand in humanity. Remember, the Bible talks about two classifications of, of, of people in the Bible. Jews and then Gentiles. So now he's clarifying everything right here. He says, um, now, is, is this blessing only for the Jews or is it also for the uncircumcised Gentiles? Well, we have been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith. But how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised or was it before he was circumcised? Clearly, God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. Circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith that, and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous even before he was circumcised. There's a lot of circumcision going on. And the men are going, Ijuela. yikes. So Abraham is the spiritual father. That's an important right there. If I had a Bible, I would put uh, spiritual father. That's an important thing to know. He's the spiritual father of those who have faith but have not been circumcised. They are counted as righteous because of their faith. Good. And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised. Now, circumcised would be who? The Jews. The uncircumcised would be who? Gentiles. Very good. We're on it. And before they had been, um, okay, but, but, only, but only if they have the same kind of faith Abraham had before he was circumcised. Boy, that throws a monkey wrench in things. Because he's talking about the Jews. And we're going to look at some things in chapter 9, 10, and 11 about national Israel. But this helps us to understand that Israel, that one that God has called, is a spiritual Israel. We'll talk about that later. Put that in your pocket. Let's look at Abraham's example, okay? Abraham was esteemed highly by the Jews and the Arabs. Why? Because he's a, he's a natural father of this guy named Ishmael. And Ishmael is the son of a woman named Hagar. And I don't know if you know this, but in the Middle East, in Palestine, there is a lot of hostility between the Jews and the Arabs. Beloved, this goes way back to here. Okay, because Sarah got impatient. How many moms ever get impatient? But you probably never did what Sarah did. Sarah got impatient and she said, I want a baby. And I want a baby right now. Right? And so he, she told Hagar, you know what? You're my maidservant. I want you to go and have a baby with my husband. Not a good idea. 
And let me tell you men right now that if your wife tells you that she wants you to have a baby with someone other, other, other woman, don't do it. It's a trap. And so what happens is that Hagar has this son named Ishmael. And because of that, there was a lot of bitterness and hostility that formed because she didn't have her own son. And, and that's where the hostility to this day is still active in the Middle East and all over the world between the Jewish nation and especially the Arab nation. Amen? Okay, so then Sarah had a baby. But remember we talked about this last week. She had it at 90 years old. In fact, first service, I looked at Evelyn. I said, Evelyn, what would have happened 10 years ago if you would have had a baby? She says, what did he say? Wasn't even a thought. Wasn't even a thought. And so as we look at that, Sarah had this baby at 90 years old and Abraham at 100. The promised child, this child of the promise that was actually going to be a part of the promise because the actual promised seed would be Jesus. But it was through that lineage that this was going to come. Now Abraham and David are huge among the Jewish people. But the Bible reveals that this, um, imp this relevance and the importance of Abraham goes way beyond him being the natural father. It goes into him being a spiritual father. Grab a hold of that. Spiritually speaking, the Bible emphasized that Abraham is the father of all who believe. And more importantly... For all who believe in Jesus. You know, Jesus Christ, he's concealed in the Old Testament and he's revealed in the New Testament. In fact, when Jesus was preaching to a Jewish audience and he knew their thoughts, he knew that there was anger and strife against him. And they said, we're the father of Abraham. And Jesus said, no, 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 you're the father of the devil because the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He's a murderer from the beginning. And, the, and these religious leaders were so angry that they wanted to kill Jesus. And look at, listen to the words of Jesus in John 8. He says, your father Abraham, he rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, because think about it, Jesus was at that age between 30 and 33 years old, he went to the cross at 33. And so Jesus is 30 years old. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and, you have, and, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Huge right here. Now, you need to understand something, that when Moses met uh, met God at the burning bush, Moses went in, and the Lord said to him, take off your sandals, you're standing on holy ground. And Moses went before this burning bush and as he's, and he's, he's talking, he's talking to God himself and he says, who do I say send me? You want me to go to Egypt? Who should I say send me? And the Lord spoke out of that burning bush and he says, I am who I am. The great I am is Jesus. And Jesus was with Moses, and Jesus was with Abraham, and Jesus was with every patriarch that ever trusted 
in him because Jesus is God. Are you with me? Mother, say yes. Yes, okay. So that's a huge, huge statement. Now, example number one. Okay, let me rewind. That's why God led the Apostle Paul to use him as a confirming witness to the righteousness that is by faith. That led him to talk about Abraham. Example number one of Abraham being an example of righteousness by faith. Pull out your outlines real quick. First of all, example one. He was justified by faith, not by works. See, the rabbis that were teaching the people, they taught that, that, that Abraham was justified by works. And they used Genesis 26 to explain why God favored him. Now, it's important because we can pull scripture out. And if you use it out of context, then you can take something that is not meant to be there and twist it. And so he, what they said, the, the, they were teaching about the works of Abraham. They said, Abraham obeyed me, obeyed God, and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. But... These words came long after God had credited Abraham as righteous. Are you with me? When he called Abraham out of Ur, he said, and Abraham believed God, he, he credited, him, credited him as righteous because of his faith. But his faith led him to be obedient in the end. But his obedience was never the, the precedent of how his relationship with God. It was always his faith. The Bible teaches or the Bible rejects justification by works because this would allow people to boast before God. That's why Romans teaches us if his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have something to boast about or brag about. But that was not God's way for the scripture tells us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his Abraham was pulled out of a city called Ur, and in Ur, it was a very godless society because it was polytheistic. That means many gods, they worship many gods. Remember when we started reading Romans, it says that if you exchange the creator for any created thing and worship the creation, that you will become godless. Remember, remember that? And so it was a very godless society, and God called Abraham out of this godless society, and he called him out. And Abraham believed God, and he went with him. Amen? There was nothing good about Abraham. There was everything good about God. Are you with me? Throughout his life, Abraham would see the faithfulness of God upon his life. Abraham would have nothing to boast about, and neither will we. It is God who remains faithful when we fall short in obedience. It is God who provides us with power when we are powerless. It is God who provides us when our resources are depleted. It is God who provides his providence into our lives. In fact, when we come to God, we're empty and we're broken. And we have nothing to offer God. We come empty, depleted. And we come to God and he pours his righteousness into our lives. 
and he cleanses us from our unrighteousness. And he this water is clear. It kind of shows purity, and it shows life. You know that Jesus said that when we come to him, that we receive living water? And that, I don't know if you know this, but water makes things grow. And water gives life to things that are dead. In fact, if we don't drink water, we'll die. I'll drink to that. And God refreshes us and he cleanses us and he changes us. But we can never bring anything to God. It's not us or Abraham that will ever bring anything called good to God. It's only what God has given to us. And through his goodness, we're able to offer good things to our God. Amen. You see, it's not about us being able to boast. It's not about us being able to brag about who we are and what we've done. I love the way that John Stott put it. He wrote this. He said, some may boast before their fellows. And others may entertain boastful thoughts in secret. So, you know, some of us, we brag in front of our peers. And some of us, we don't say anything, but inside we're like, Either or, he says, but Paul rejects any possibility of human beings boasting before God, either creatures before their creator or sinners before their savior, whether the object of boasting is national privilege. Orale, vato. No mames, hey, Congress. I'm a Jew and I'm circumcised. I'm white, and that's why I'm right. I'm Asian. Watch out. I'm African American, and I got some clothes. Oh. Did I get, did I cover, you know, different? Whether the object of boasting is national privilege or personal piety, it makes no difference. Both forms of boasting are expressions of self-righteousness. And to suppose that the unrighteous can establish their own righteousness before God is to think the unthinkable. To think that any human being can go before God and say, look at what I have done for you is crazy because we know who we are outside of God and can I tell you outside of God we are sinful we need the righteousness of God to change our lives Abraham's faith led him to obey God now this is important Abraham's faith he had faith in God in God and his righteousness and it led him to obey God and it will also lead us to do the same. Let me say something that's important. When God found Pastor James 19 years ago, he found me. I didn't find him because he's not lost. I was. He found me. He nudged my heart by the Holy Spirit. He brought me to him. That person that I was at that one time, 
19 years ago, I am not that person anymore. Believe me, God's done some amazing work in me. But everything he's done, all the things that can be called good, are as filthy rags without him. I will never be able to bring anything before God. Here's the thing, beloved. I guess here's the thing a lot. I don't know. Today's here's the thing day. Our works will never justify us before a righteous God because our right standing with God is 100% Jesus Christ. Example number two, he was justified before he was circumcised. That's so important because circumcision would be a huge debate in the early church as the means of being saved. Judaizers, they taught that it was faith in Jesus plus circumcision. And the reasoning goes back to guess who? Abraham. One, thank you, P-Dub. One person's grabbing a hold of it. But the Bible settles this by emphasizing that Abraham was justified before he was circumcised. His circumcision was a seal and a sign to validate his right standing with God through faith. A, what's a sign? A sign points to something or some place. But it's not that place or it's not that destination. When you're driving on 77, if you turn left, you're going to go and you will see a sign that says Florence. This way. Quarter mile, turn right to Florence. Now, I, I, don't, I need to explain something to you. That sign is not Florence. That sign will point you to turn right to go to Florence. Florence, the town is Florence. So circumcision points to righteousness, but it doesn't make a man righteous. God does. And so the Bible makes it clear that the righteousness of man is by faith in the one who is righteous and imputes his righteousness. Someone say amen. I mean, that's like so good. A seal. A seal reveals that something is genuine or authentic. A seal indicates authenticity of something, just like a seal on a marriage certificate. Marriage certificate designates a legal marriage. Every time I do a marriage, every time I do a wedding, I say this. I say, don't let your marriage stand or be based on the seal on your marriage certificate or the authority of the state, but in your love for each other and in your love for God. Every marriage, I say that. Now, a marriage, the seal on your marriage certificate is very important. It validates that you have made a decision to say two important words. I do. And so the seal on your wedding certificate says, you did. Amen. But the seal is not your marriage. Your I do is your marriage. It's the same thing with circumcision. Circumcision does not make you righteous. Circumcision says you are righteous because God already made you righteous. And th well, let me even rewind that. Because you're going to say, oh, i got to get circumcised because God already made me righteous. No, no, no. He's talking to the Jews. Don't be leaving here and making a doctor's appointment, all right? I think I'm going to go to another church. I don't want to get circumcised. 
Here's how the, the New Living Translation puts it. But how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised or was it before he was circumcised? Clearly God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. Exclamation point. Circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous even before he was circumcised. So Abraham is the, circle this, spiritual father of those who have faith but have not been circumcised. They are counted righteous because of their, say it with me, faith. And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised, but only if they have the same kind of faith Abraham, Abraham had before he was circumcised. You grabbing a hold of it? You are saved. You are made righteous by your faith. Example number three. God fulfilled his promise to Abraham through faith, not the law. What we find in Romans is the law was never intended to make us right with God. It points us to the fact that we need a Savior. Amen? The commandments were never given to make us right with God. Or else in the Old Testament, when Moses brought the Ten Commandments down, God said, I need to have another meeting with you because I am going to give you the sacrifices so that they can make atonement when they sin. Ooh, that's good. That's what makes us right, is that we need atonement because every man falls short of the glory of God. And that means women too. Okay, uh, uh, Romans 4.13 says, Clearly God, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was not based or was based not on his obedience to God's law, but, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. The law was given to the nation of Israel 400 years after God had credited Abraham as righteous. That is huge. That is so huge right there. It was not given to justify, but to give a knowledge of sin. God's promise to give an inheritance to Abraham was based on one thing, and that one thing is faith. Let's look at what Romans says about this. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing, and the promise is worthless because the law brings wrath. I want you guys to, we're going to look at words right now. This is very, very important right here. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith. In the, in the NIV and in the NASB, it talks about grace, this faith that comes through grace. Now, let's look at the key words. Law points to obedience. How do we know that? When there's a written code, you write it so that you can obey it. There are, well, we talked about signs. There are signs as you leave the church, as you're driving down to Samuel Junction, or you're driving the other way, there is a sign that says 55 miles per hour. That it means speed limit. Don't go beyond that because if you do, there are sometimes a white vehicle with blue lining on it 
It says highway patrol, and they will follow you at excess speed with their lights on, and they will give you something called a ticket, right? So we see that the wording right here, it kind of helps us with that law points to obedience, and if there's no obedience, it points to punishment or wrath. And so we see that the law leads us to know that we are disobedient and that we deserve the wrath of God or the punishment of God. And that's why the promise is so much bigger. Look at the key words of the promise. The promise points to faith. And when you have faith in God who did everything for us because Jesus died for our sins, you receive his grace. Any of you want to do it the, the, the way of the law? Good luck. Any of you want to do it through the promise, faith, and grace? What a blessing. How amazing our God is. And it changes our lives for the, for the good. I'm going to close with this scripture on, on Abraham's life. When God counted him as righteous, he's talking about Abraham, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too. I don't know if you got your Bible, but if you have your Bible, you should highlight that, underline it, circle it, because I love benefits, don't you? For our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus from the dead, he was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make me right with God. Why did Jesus rise from the dead? To make us right with God. I don't know about you, but my, my insides are going like, good stuff. Now, we don't have enough time to go into all of David's examples. I'm going to give them to you so that you can look at them. Amen. Write them down, and, 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 and David is a great example as well. Example number one from David, transgressions are forgiven. Sins are forgiven, okay? Now that is an amazing, amazing thing right there when it talks about blessed are those whose sins are forgiven. And, and the reason it's so important is because the literal word for that is God sends our sins away. He takes our sins away from us. And then he goes into the next thing. He says, example number two, sins are covered. Not only does God send our sins away, he takes them away from us. Check this out. But those sins that he lays aside away from us, he covers them with the blood of Jesus. And when God looks at the things that we've done, he doesn't see the things that we've done. He's seen the blood of Jesus and what he's done for all our failures. That's huge. And last example, number three, whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Not only does he take our sins away, not only does he cover our sins, but the Bible says that he will never, ever, ever count our sins against us again. That's huge because he, God's not a human. You know how we are as humans. We'll say, yeah, I'm, you say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for doing that. And then two weeks later, do you remember 
and you did this. God doesn't bring up our faults when they're covered by the blood of Jesus. There's nothing like that. Let's pray.